You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. So let me just say to you as we kind of start today, um, if you came this morning thinking that you were going to hear a sermon about the cross, um, it might feel just a little off today. If you really wanted to hear something about an empty tomb today, um, you might go home a little disappointed. We're going to just go a little different, if that's okay with you. Um, if it's not okay with you, we're still going there. Um, so for the first 300 years, how many of you know that for the first 300 years of the church, the cross was not even the symbol of Christianity? Did you know that? I know, all of you are thinking, I know, it's that fish on my trunk. It's not. I mean, it was, it was one, but there were actually six, six symbols of the early church uh, before the cross actually became a symbol for us. Um, Early on, they used the letters Alpha and Omega from the Greek, speaking of God. Uh, they, at one point, they used the letters for Jesus. Uh, the Greek letters represent Jesus Christ, the J, the J and the C. I don't know what the Greek letters are for that. Um, at some point, a peacock was our symbol of Christianity. I have no idea what that was about. Um, you'll have to Google that. I didn't have time for that this morning. But somewhere in the midst of that... Um, in the 4th century, how many of you ever heard Constantine? He became the emperor of Europe in the 4th century. He was the first emperor to accept Christ as his savior. And when he did, things, some things changed. One, he stopped all of this crucifixion. He stopped the mass executions in that form. And it took a little while, but gradually the church, kind of the gruesomeness of what they had seen some others be crucified in and, and certainly what they knew of Jesus, it kind of faded towards the back a little bit. And they came to a point where now they appreciated the value of what happened on the cross. And so the cross became a symbol for us. And even then and today, the cross really represents his death. And on that Friday, and we put this in your notes, on that Friday, death appeared to be final and irreversible. The disciples were devastated as everything that they hoped for and believed in ended as Jesus' body was laid in that tomb. But on Sunday, they received a message that changed history. The women came back from the tomb, and they said, he's alive. It was the single most important event in human history. See, that, his coming to life, brings us to life. It's the opportunity for us to know what real life is. So I know that for the last 1,700 years, we've been focusing on the cross and, and what that was. But here's the interesting thing. As we focused on the cross these last 1,700 years, we focused what happened on the cross, that he nailed and took our sins to the cross. And so what happens is when we focus on the cross, we focus on sin. My sin, your sin. Our sin, their sin. And the reality was for the first three centuries, that is not what the church focused on. That wasn't their purpose at all. For the first three centuries of the church, they were focused on the resurrection. They were not focused on his death as much as the fact of proving that he was alive. Think about it. In Acts chapter 2, Peter does the first sermon out in the middle of the street. He's the first street preacher. 
and he preaches a sermon and he says, this same Jesus whom you crucified is now alive. That was the first sermon. He wasn't worried about that their sins were nailed to the cross. He was trying to tell them he is risen. That's the story. That's the good news of the gospel. The fact our sins are forgiven comes along with it. But the truth is that he is alive. Think about Acts chapter 7. We see that Stephen is being stoned, right? Why is he being stoned? Because his sermon that he's preaching them is that this Jesus you guys crucified is alive. For the first three centuries, we were telling people our proof, our, our focus was Jesus has risen. And it wasn't until the fourth century that the cross even became um, a symbol. So we focus on the resurrection and we focus on life. Because Jesus is alive and he makes us alive. We sang about it all day long. Did you notice that all the songs this morning were singing that he is alive? He makes us alive. We are alive. Why? Because that's what the resurrection does. That's what Jesus does. Lee Strobel made this quote. He says this. He says, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people alive. Now, I know what you're thinking this morning. You're thinking, man, that is a good-looking outfit he has on. (laughs) And you would be right. (laughs) I dress myself today. You're thinking, well, he seems like he's perky and alive. I am, but I'm going to tell you what, I've not always been this way. See, I'm alive because Christ is alive in me. And I know who I was before I knew Christ. I grew up in the church, but there was still, growing up in the church, there was a time before I knew Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know that there's many of you other than my mom in this room who would have loved me at that stage of my life. To be without Christ, I was dead. I was dead in my transgression. I was not living alive. I was not this, this life that God can use in this way at all. But God came to take me, the dead person, and to bring me to full life, the life that he intended. Dead isn't always have the answer. The Roman soldiers, when they took him down, they declared that he was dead. And the religious leaders, they all celebrated that he was dead. And even um, Pilate could declare that they were to secure the tomb, right? But at the end of the day, none of them had the final word. None of them. The final word came in Christ. He came to life. He came back to life. And so... He has the final word. And it's in the resurrection. This morning, I want to talk to you from two texts. I know you're thinking, is that even legal that we could have two texts? It's Easter. We're all dressed extra nice. We should get something for that. You should get two texts to preach from. This morning, I want to preach from uh, Luke chapter 24 and Ephesians chapter 2. So on that first Sunday morning, these three women are running to the tomb and they have a bit of a surprise they see angels 
And the angels say to them in verse 5, he says this, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, being the angels, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The next verse actually says that the angels quote what Jesus said to them. And then verse 8, it actually says, And they remembered him saying that. The second text I have for you this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and its ruler. Verse, jumping to verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now when you back up and you take these two verses in context together, Luke 24 says that Jesus has risen and is alive. And Ephesians 2 says God makes us alive with Christ because of his great love. Today, this Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk to you about the benefits of the resurrection because Jesus is alive. The first thing is this. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. How many of you know we've been doing this for a long time? Genesis chapter 3 says that Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. And when they were opened, in verse 7, it says that they covered their shame with fig leaves. Now I'm going to tell you, I've never seen fig leaves. I'm just hoping they're big. <laughs> verse 8 says this. It says, then they heard God coming and they ran to hide their guilt. We're still doing this today. Many people don't attend church or they only come on special occasions because they don't want to talk about shame and guilt and sin. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to reconcile to it. They certainly don't want to out themselves that it would be of any consideration for them or that they might somehow share in that in any way. So they choose not to come. Or they only come on special occasions. That took me a while to realize this. In fact, I've only realized this probably in the last year or so. There are a whole group of people who come to church to hide their guilt and their shame. It's the old hide in plain sight tactic is what it is. It's if I go then no one will know that I struggle with shame or guilt or anything else. No one will think that I struggle with sin or immorality in any way because I'm there. I'll just go. But I want to, hear, I want to tell you something today, and I wrote it in your notes, but I want you to hear me say it. You don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. He was nailed to the cross so that you can stop nailing yourself to the cross. You know that song that we sang, the first song we, that we sang this morning, every time we sing it, it really like gets me stirred up emotionally. 
It says that I was in my tomb and then I heard him calling my name. I'm going to tell you, there was a time when I was, I had allowed some things in my life to hold me in a place where it became a tomb to me. But there came a day when I knew that God was speaking to me and he wasn't loud and he wasn't shouting. It was right in my heart and it was soft. But I knew that God was calling me. He was calling me and I didn't have to live that way. I didn't have to be in that tomb. Listen, he came out of his tomb so that you and I can come out of ours. Once and for all, you don't have to live that way. Ephesians chapter 2, our text, addresses both our past and our present if we allow it. In verse 1 it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's the past. In verse 4 he said, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. That's the present in Christ. Listen, when we start talking about guilt and shame and stuff, it gets really quiet all the time. I just want to say this to you. If anything you hear me saying today sounds like condemnation, you're missing what I'm saying. Romans 8, chapter 8, chapter eight verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about the sin and shame that oppress us. We're talking about the one who frees us today from that. It's simply that, that we have the ability to live without that. That's the first thing because Jesus is alive. The second thing is this. You don't have to live in the fear of death. Your notes say that the number one thing... um, Human beings have, the number one fear human beings have is fear of dying. Would you scratch through the word one and write two? So this is a side note. You're only getting this. No other campus gets to know this. But the reality is the number one fear of death, I mean the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Amen. So here's what that means. That means that every funeral you've ever been at you were more afraid that you might have to stand up here in front of people than you were laying, if you might have to end up laying in that box. We're more afraid of public speaking. But this reason that people are a fear of death, the reason we're afraid of that is because we don't know what's going to happen after death. So let me tell you, today I'm going to tell you what happens after death in the life of a believer. It's in our text, Ephesians 2 Verse 6, it says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. See, that's what happens in the life of the believer. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no fear of death. Why? Because we're alive. We're made alive, not just in this life, but in the life to come because of the resurrection. Because he's alive, we're alive. John chapter 11, verse 25 says this. Jesus said to her, being the woman at the well, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. See, for those of us who believe in Jesus, that he is the resurrection, that he is life, and we receive him as Savior, death is 
Not the end. It's really the only the beginning. I, I think oftentimes we think that salvation is the beginning. I think that's the, that's the beginning of our relationship with Christ. But I'm going to tell you, the beginning of living <laughs> is death. Because what we're experiencing here is nothing compared to what we're going to experience. That is the beginning. We don't have to fear death. But people do. But because Jesus is risen, we don't have to. The third thing is this. Because Jesus is alive, you can live with hope in hopeless situations. Would you watch this video and then I'm going to come back and join you. We bought a house um, in 2015 in Mooresville. My parents uh, finished the basement and moved in with us. And at that point, my dad's health began to t deteriorate. Um, it, it was a pretty fast uh, downfall in his health. And so he passed away in June 22nd, um, in 2017. And all of my siblings and family had gathered um, to deal with that and process that whole um, tragedy. Of course, I had like the natural reaction. I, I screamed at first and yelled, but um, then I just had this peace. We were holding each other and just, just crying, and and I said, I don't know what to do. And it, it might be the first time I've ever told her that. Yeah. <laughs> I think generally. It comes back to you're missing something that was there. Uh, Lauren used to be up, you know, same time every morning and come downstairs and be sitting at the table. And when I'd come home from working at night, she was there. Mm. And uh, she'd come running to me and just screaming my name and give me a big hug. And so now, you know, opening the door to just a quiet house is. Hard. It's hard. Yeah, I would say that's probably the hardest. Realizing that you have a new normal. <laughs> that you have to push forward and you have to... You'll never be who you were, really, which kind of stinks because <laughs> we had a good life. <laughs> and we were in a really good place and, you know, things were going well. And then that rug's completely taken out from under you. Our relationship with God is strengthening, uh, just because we're we're going at it from a whole different angle than we used to. Jesus's rescue that it's what gives us hope. Uh, I mean, we can overcome fear because we have hope, and, and shame and guilt because we have hope, and we're moving forward because we have hope. I love the one for, uh, the song that talks about how he leaves the 99. He will leave those 99 and come after you. No matter what you've done, no matter um, what you've lost, how angry you've gotten, no matter how hopeless you feel, he runs after you all the time.
Life can bring us situations that seem as if there's no solutions. No possibilities. No hope. Just like the disciples after the crucifixion and just like this family after this loss. You can be devastated by the realities of life. But we have to remember this. Because Jesus is alive, there is hope. This family's finding it and walking through it. This is really fresh for them. They're only nine months into this. But they're walking in a place of hope. A hope of their future. A certainty of where their little one is. And a hope that they will see them again. It's all there. There's a hope that they can get up the next day and, and live. All that's possible because of Jesus. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. There's always hope in Him. That's where we have to run to. No matter our, our faults, no matter our losses, we have to find our hope in there. And last Point number four is this. Because Jesus is alive, you can live with confidence that you will go to heaven. I'm going to say that again. Because Jesus is alive, you can live with confidence you will go to heaven. See, John 14, 6 tells us that Jesus is the only way to the Father, thus to heaven. And John 3, 16, I'm not going to quote that. I know you're thinking, what? This is the weirdest Easter I've ever... No one's not even going to quote John 3.16. Listen, you already know what it says. You know that it says Jesus was crucified and resurrected. That he defeated death and he made eternal life possible. There's another verse, John 20 verse 31. It says this. It says that all the biblical accounts of Christ, all of them, were recorded in Scripture... And this is what it says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. That's what it says. See, Jesus is alive, but that truth will not bring you life unless you believe and receive the one who came to give you that life. Listen, salvation is not just some prayer that we pray to create some kind of um, eternal, keep us from being like eternally prosecuted, right? It's not this get out of jail free card. That's not what salvation is intended to be at all. Salvation is intended to be life. If we think of it as if it were, it's to keep us from going to hell, then we're totally misunderstanding the love of the Father and the love of the Son whom He sent. See, Romans 10 and 9, it does say this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. So we oftentimes, we, we uh, make that verse easy by praying a prayer. That becomes the declaration of what we believe. But here's the deal. The power is not in the prayer power is in what we believe in our hearts and we have to believe that Jesus is the son of God that he is the risen Christ that's where the power is at that's when we become alive is when we believe that he's alive it's not in anything else 
we have to declare and choose him. But to understand that, to be able to do that, we have to fully understand how much the Father loves us. And we have to understand how much Jesus loved us. Listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. I love people in this room. But there's very few of you in here that I would love enough that I would die for. But I don't have to. Because Jesus already did it. See, he's the one who takes love way farther than I can take. Way farther than you can take. He took it all the way where it says, the word says that he poured himself out. Emptied himself. Well, what do you think he emptied himself of? Blood. He took himself all the way to death. Because that's how much he loved us. So when we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I love you. We're not saying, God, I want to, I want you just to forgive my sins so I can do what I want to do. We're saying, God, I'm making you Lord of my life, that I understand how much you sacrificed and how much you love and that you came back to life and you arose for me. It's that understanding. It's that that we're taking it. We come alive because he comes alive. He was raised back to life so that we might have life. Listen, this whole Christian slash church thing is not about sin and death and eternity in hell. If you think that, you have totally missed the whole thing. This is about love and life. The entire Bible was written not so that you have a good book to pattern your life after. The entire Bible is a revelation of who God is. And He wants you to know who He is in every circumstance of life. And so it's a recording of the circumstances of life of people. And if you look, you can see who God was in each of those situations. The God who saved. The God who resourced. The God who provided. The God who guided. The God who rescued. The God who redeemed. The God who fed. The God who provided water. All of that's in Scripture. It's not a pattern. It's a revelation. This morning, there is one thing that I will do on an Easter Sunday morning. And that is this. I want to give everybody the opportunity to make sure that you know the risen Christ for yourself. So I'm going to ask that all heads would bow if you don't mind, if you'd close your eyes just for a second. no doubts that something I said today you heard something different maybe something different than you've ever heard before and I don't know what day is your day but I know when my day came I knew he was talking to me so I'm just going to give you just a brief moment says that if we believe in our heart 
and we confess with our mouth and we're saved. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity to make that declaration. And it's really simple. I'm just going to give you the opportunity to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. But if you know, you heard something today, maybe you've been living without hope, maybe you've been living in fear, maybe you've been living in uncertainty of your future, maybe you've been living hiding, maybe even in plain sight. If that's you this morning, if you just raise your hand and put it back down, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to be here long. Thank you. You can can put your hand down, anyone else. Thank you. One last second. Anyone else? Awesome. For the sake of these two, would you do me a favor? Would you all pray with me so we can pray with them? Again, the magic's not in the prayer. It's already been done in the heart, but this is the declaration. Would you all pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are risen. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God. And I accept you into my heart today to fully live there and transform me to be like you. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.